You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent, and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. With me today is both Andy and Micah. What's up, guys? How's it going? What's up? Going all right. Today's episode, we're going to talk about some coyotes and coyote hunting. Yep. It's Um, that time of year. It's that time. We've got uh, Laura Conley, uh, who is a returning guest. She's a fur bearer biologist with uh, Missouri Department of Conservation. And we've also got Travis McLean, who's on the enforcement side, um, to talk about kind of the science behind coyotes in our state and then the new regulations that are going to be coming out kind of simplifying for us yeah 
or that are out that are going to start on February 1st for us. Right. right, and breaks down all the rules and what you need to know to yeah. be able to get out there and shoot some coyotes tonight. <laughs> I think Legally. You, uh, Legally. Yeah. <laughs> I think you said, Micah, uh, before we started recording, explain it to the listeners, Travis, like we're five. <laughs> right. And I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure we've said that on the podcast before, but I mean, this is it's new to us, so I wanted to just make sure the listeners and us right. knew what we were allowed to do, when we were allowed to do it, and just to break it down, super simple, and he did a great job of doing it. Yeah, and then Laura so. did a great job of giving us information about coyotes. Right. You know, kind of some, some stuff I didn't know. I thought... Honestly, a coyote could pretty much go into heat when she needed to. Yeah. Sounds like they they pretty well only breed once a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and she gave some history to them in Missouri and things like that. I mean, it was well-rounded podcast, I would say. Yep. I mean, we're pretty good, man. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, we get the right people on here. To oh, give there us, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good at finding people we're with good the, at right finding the right information. Good call. So, yeah, they did a great job and we really appreciate them coming on so before we hop into this Micah you want to uh, you said you want to yeah shout out. um the giveaway has already been given away by now or whatever but we want to give a special thanks to uh Sally's Propane for uh hooking us up with that uh buddy heater giveaway uh they sponsored that that was all on them and that so was awesome yeah and super so, generous yeah yep. very generous as the very generous of them I mean I work for them so I know how generous they are but uh just wanted to say thank you to them uh and if any of you listeners out there are within i don't know 30 40 miles of bait city and have some propane needs don't be scared to give us a call so damn it bobby <laughs> <laughs> you know we're just out there hang killing it that's all i'm out of clean socks god <laughs> dang it <laughs> but yeah so thank you sally's we really appreciate yes, it yeah thank you. thank you guys that was that was very nice of you all to do that uh and andy and i appreciate it as well 100 percent all right, let's get into this show. You guys got anything else? No, let's get after it. All right, this is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. All right, on the line with us today is Laura Conley and Travis McLean with MDC. How's it going, everybody? Good. Going well, thank you. So before we get into this episode, we'll go through some quick introductions. Uh, Laura's been on our show before. Yeah, she did the bear hunt. Uh, the bear one, yep. yeah. the bear. And it's a good one. Everybody should go check that one out. It, it was quite a while ago, but it's a good episode to talk about bear hunting in our state. But um, we will have Laura and Travis introduce themselves. So before we get into the, the meat of the subject... Uh, Laura, why don't you start, introduce yourself, and tell us what you do with uh, Missouri De- Department of Conservation. Sure. Um, I am the fur bear biologist for MDC, and so I uh, primarily work with research and monitoring for our fur bears and um, basically developing monitoring protocols, research projects, and things like that to help inform regulations decisions. Um, so I work with coyotes, I work with fox, raccoons, a variety of other species, um, and then also with our black bears. Awesome. Travis, how about you, sir? Well, I'm Travis McLean, and I'm uh, I'm a deputy chief in our protection division, which is the, the branch of our department that handles the wildlife law enforcement. Um, I supervise the conservation agents um, that, that work in the southern half of Missouri, so been with the department for about 21 years and been assigned as a conservation agent um, throughout 
several different parts of the state of Missouri, but but now I work in administration out of Jefferson City and, and supervise our agents throughout the state. Cool. Um, so, coyotes. Uh, we're, we're doing this episode today to kind of get into the new changes that are going to um, – that are going to be coming into effect as far as hunting coyotes and in, in at the beginning of February of 2021. Um, but before we do that, we, we decided to have Laura come back to talk about a little bit of the science behind the coyote in Missouri or coyote for some of you folks. Um, and song dog. I've, song. Heard, I've heard, I've, I've heard him called lots of things. Lots of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them can't stay on here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so bef- before we get into the new laws, Laura, why don't we kind of break, just discuss a little bit of the history of the coyote in our state and kind of where we're at now with them, and, and we'll kind of just go from there if that helps, if that works for you at all. Sure. Yep, absolutely. So uh, coyotes have, you know, a pretty long history here in the state, but not necessarily in every part of the state. So, you know, when you think about coyote populations prior to European settlement, they're really a prairie species. So we did have them in some parts of the state, but really restricted to those prairie areas. Um, As large carnivores, you know, think about wolves and mountain lions were removed from the landscape as human settlement pushed westward. Um, That basically opened up the door for coyote range expansion. And um, over Basically, you know, the 1900s, coyotes expanded their range across huge, huge portions of the United States, Canada, Mexico, further south. I mean, they they really um, kind of took advantage of this opening and this predator release and basically went from a prairie dwelling species to a species that you could find almost anywhere. And so here in Missouri now, you know, over the 1900s, they expanded out of those prairie regions into the more forested parts of the state, into the boot heel, um, even into our suburban and urban areas. So it is quite common for residents to see coyotes within cities and things like that. Um, When I worked out east, I mean, we had coyotes in Boston. They've had coyotes in New York City. There's coyotes in Los Angeles. And so they've really... uh, become a very adaptable species. Um, They're food sources. They're pretty adaptable when it comes to food sources. And they can pretty much meet their living requirements in in just about any kind of habitat. So kind of impressive from an ecological perspective there that that kind of predator um, removal released this other smaller predator into basically all sorts of different areas where they historically Hmm. weren't found. Yeah, um... I've, you know, you kind of always, you just kind of compare a coyote to a wolf just because they, they look similar. And of course, one's a lot bigger, but I've always been told a lot of people have asked, you know, why aren't wolves as, as spread out as coyotes are? And it, it, it really comes down to the coyote is much more adapt to their environment than, than maybe a wolf is, or a lot of other predators. I mean, they mm-hmm. can, like you just said, they're opportunistic. They take what's given to them and run with it for the most part, don't they? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and when you think about their food sources, you know, they are typically small mammal predators. And when you think about the prairie region, that's not surprising. Uh, mice, voles, rabbits, squirrels, you know, things like that, that are the smaller animals. Um, but they will take advantage of a lot of other things. And so that might be um, deer fawns. It might be turkeys on occasion. You know, that's not their primary food source by any means. 
but they're opportunistic. So if it comes up, they, they can take advantage of it. Um, they are also quite adept at eating vegetation. So when mm. fruiting species are abundant, you'll find coyote scat that is chock full of persimmon seeds and chock full of blackberries and choke yeah. cherries. And, and, and they just take advantage of basically every kind of food source. I mean, even during the summer, they're eating insects. So, so really, uh, they, they can cover this really wide ecological niche, basically. You know, if, if, it's, if it's edible, it's something they can eat. And when they get into suburban areas and urban areas, I mean, you could be talking about pet food that's left outside. Um, trash, you know, they're knocking over trash cans, getting into trash. Um, they will occasionally prey on outdoor cats and yeah. um, take Toy advantage poodles. of. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 absolutely. It, it does. It does happen. And, and so, you know, so they take advantage of, um, especially in those suburban and urban areas, what are often uh, abundant and highly concentrated food sources. They don't have to travel very far um, to meet their needs. And so sometimes they're packed in even in higher densities than they would be in the more natural environment. That makes a lot of sense. They're, right. they're really impressive when you think about all the, you know, how vast they can spread out and right. adapt. Yeah. It, they're, I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. you do have to respect them, right? You got to oh, respect yeah. the game. <laughs> well, well, right, I mean, right, I, I right. love what, what species goes from the mountains to the prairies, to the deserts, to, you know, forests. I mean, I mean, it's, when you think about it from that respect, I mean, it, it is um, it is quite impressive that 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 happened and that it is this, you know, really large scale range expansion essentially across the country and the continent. Um, but what it means is there's a lot of learning that comes with it, too. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't expect coyotes to be living necessarily in a city area, but that's where they are sometimes. Yeah, and right. even for folks down in the southern part of the state in the Ozarks, there was a time when they didn't have a lot of coyotes. And as that population steadily increased, okay, now this is something that they start to see a little bit more regularly. Yeah. Um, another thing that we were curious on, and, and you know, you can be as detailed as you want, and Travis, feel free to jump in here if you have any thoughts here. But at least in our state, I'm sure they're a little bit different uh, d- depending on where you are in the country, but what is their, their sort of their annual timeline, I guess you'd call it here in Missouri. Um, are they, do they all pretty much do the same thing, the same times of the year here in our state? Does it vary from region to region and you know, where are they at right now? And, and what do you, you know, how, how does the year go for them for the most part, ecologically speaking um, for, for the listeners? Yep. So, so it is, it is pretty consistent um, within the state of Missouri and um, kind of dependent upon their range. There's minor shifts due to kind of food abundance and things like that. Uh, but for the most part, they follow kind of a, a, a pretty set, you know, biological timeline. So uh, really, let's, let's start with the breeding season and the mating season, um, you know, when they're going to have their pups, when they're mating. Uh, and then that kind of carries us to where we are now. And so that mating season occurs during the winter months. The pups are generally born, uh, or they're, they're breeding around February. Uh, the pups are born, you know, 60-ish days later. And there's some variability <clears throat> around that, dependent upon, you know, how far north you are in the country, how far south you are in the country. But generally, you're thinking about that mating season occurring during the later winter months, and then the pups being born 
in the spring. And during that mating season, uh, you often hear a lot of howling. There's a lot of communication going on at that time period. Um, males are territorial, driving off other males from their mate and, and things like that. Um, and so they're often moving a lot too during the winter months because food's less abundant. They've got to do a little bit more work during that cold weather to keep up their energetic needs and, and things like that. Um, and then as you get into the spring when the pups are born, uh, the female really stays pretty close to that den site early on. The pups are small. They can't travel on their own or anything like that. Um, she'll keep watch over there. The male will do a substantial portion of the hunting. As those pups get older, um, the, both parents kind of need to get in the game and bring back more food. Um, and so, so that kind of continues on as the pups get bigger into the spring and, and, and into the summer. And by the middle of the summer, the pups are venturing out of the den. They're beginning to feed on their own. They're not 100% reliant on the parents bringing them back food, uh, but they still do take advantage of it. And they're basically kind of learning their way in the world. How do you be a coyote? And, you know, what do you need to eat? Where do you go? What's the, you know, how do you patrol the territory and, and, and things like that? Um, and then as you get into the fall, you enter this dispersal phase. And so those young animals um, that were born in, you know, that spring are basically getting ready to set off on their own. And that dispersal can really vary quite a bit. Some stick around for longer than others. A lot of it's dependent upon food availability, whether or not they have to disperse farther or whether or not there's some range overlap there with, um, with their parents. Uh, but that dispersal occurs basically the fall through this time of year. And then those animals are moving around on the landscape, um, you know, uh, prepping for the mating season. The males generally don't mate right away that first year. The females can. Um, and then you kind of start that whole cycle over again. So this time of year um, kind of coincides when you start to get um, reports of, you know, naive animals moving through suburban areas. You might see, as those coyotes are moving around more on the landscape, um, an increased number of road kills because you have inexperienced animals that are now basically venturing off on their own, trying to figure out, find where they go, where they're going to set up shop and, and things like that. Um, and that's pretty consistent um, anywhere you go, you know, within the country. They kind of follow that general pattern, but there's some shift just with how soon that happens, how late that happens, uh, and things like that. That's cool. What, Go ahead. Well, one question I had, and you probably could tell us, I've heard that uh, coyotes, uh, I, I assume during the breeding season, like they'll do their howling and everything, and they also do that to do roll, roll call. And if need be, the female can produce more pups. Is there any truth to that? And, and Mike, to so, expand you know, on that real quick, Laura, and Travis, you might have yeah. something to add on his as well right here, but we've always heard that hunting coyotes does nothing. You know, you kill 10, 20 50, more show up. Yeah, they expand their back. breeding size. So, it, I mean, is size. there something to those calls where, you know, if, if you have this, you know, hunting day and you go out and kill 15 coyotes, you feel like you helped, but does it really do anything as far as their population? I've heard they're just so good at – multiplying when they need to i mean and and mike has heard that before are are those legitimate things and you know travis do you see a real change in you know population numbers based on you know ramped up hunting efforts um or does it really just cause them to to you know double up so to speak 
I think that's probably a better question for Laura. Question for Laura, uh, you Good know, on the biological <laughs> side. But, but yep. uh, you know, not that, not that, not that I don't have opinions. But you know what? You know, from an enforcement or a regulatory standpoint, you know, everybody always talks about bounties and those sorts of things, and those have proven to not work very well. You know, increasing harvest mm-hmm. um, through those, you know, on on coyote populations. But but I'll let Laura, with her expertise, really answer the question. Cool. You're right, though. I mean, it, it is a really popular question, and it's something that comes up a lot. And 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 the reality of it is it's kind of a yes and no kind of answer. So when you think about the coyote population as a whole, in its entirety, you have to remove a lot, a lot, a lot of animals um, to cause that population to decline. So if that's the objective, to stabilize or decline – you have to remove a lot of animals to do that across the landscape very consistently. Um, and, and that's where, as Travis said, you know, that was the aim of bounty systems to do just that. And, and they were quite ineffective at um, decreasing coyote populations. Um, but at the local level, hunting certainly can have impacts and those impacts are just going to be variable dependent upon coyote densities, dependent upon the time of year that you're talking about and, and things like that. So it's, it's kind of a twofold thing. Certainly hunting at the local level can have impacts. And, and even when you're thinking about you know, removal of problem animals. So if you're thinking in the sense of nuisance issues and things like that, absolutely. If you have a depredating coyote, you remove that coyote, then, then you're easing up the depredation issues that are occurring. Um, <laughs> But you certainly can have impact at the local level um, in terms of coyote removal. However, coyotes are, like you said, they're really good at filling in open spaces. So those dispersers that we talked about, the young ones that are moving about on the landscape, um, mm-hmm. the idea is that there's subsets of the coyote population that are just transient. They have not set up shop yet. They haven't found a place, you know, an open territory to set up shop. So the idea is, well, if you remove say, the dominant male or the dominant female or the pair, and it opens up that territory, they can often fill in that territory pretty quickly. Um, And it kind of depends on where you are and what the local density looks like and, um, you know, how many transients there are on the landscape. And sometimes those territories are then just engulfed by other resident pairs. So, you know, it's it's totally possible that there's that kind of local dynamic. And then, when you factor in the reproductive capacity of them, um, it, it, it does have something to do with the densities, but it's also related to food. So if you have um, a lot of abundant food and those coyotes can support large litters, you know, say the densities are lower, um, then, yeah, you can have those larger litters. Um, if food competition is an issue, then that's when you start to see some of those lower litters occurring rather than the bigger litters occurring. And and you can almost think of it as kind of a fluctuating cycle. It, it kind of depends on, you know, how many animals are removed coupled with, you know, what die of natural mortality and, and things like that. And when we talk about coyotes, 
you know, hunting and trapping is one source of mortality, but it's certainly not the only source of mortality. So you have, you know, hunting and trapping as part of the seasons. You have removal of nuisance animals that occur. You have coyotes that die of natural causes, whether it is disease or starvation or competition or or those other factors that can happen. And then there's those other, you know, human-caused mortalities, and, and primarily you're talking about roadkill. So there's all these sorts of mortality factors um, that kind of come into play. Um, and so so it is it's one of those things at the local level, yeah, there's definitely impacts at the at the large scale population level. Um, those impacts can often be a little bit dampened in terms of of the hunting season and and the sheer number that you would have to remove um, to cause you know large scale population declines. Um, but but to say hunting has zero impact would not be accurate either. Sure, that makes sense. You uh, touched on a couple times kind of the territory, like they disperse into territories. What would, say, an average territory size be? Is there any anything behind that, any information as far as how how much area does a, a say, a dominant coyote cover? And I have a yeah, follow-up so question it, it, for that, Loera, on yeah. top of what he just asked. <laughs> so you have the, the territory size, and then let's say you have an uh, ecosystem that is – Plenty of food, plenty of, you know, space, and there are multiple coyotes that are, you know, harvested or killed. Can a can a female then, based on the territory, I mean, basically go back into heat? I've always heard a wives' tale that they can go back into heat based on the need to, um, when they need to. Is is that true? On top of Andy's question, and you can kind of kill two birds with one stone there. Sure. Uh, yeah, so the territory size, it can be quite variable, and it's really dependent on food. So so generally here, we think of, of that home range size to be maybe just under 10 square miles to around 30 square miles. Okay. Um, but that's really dependent on the habitat. So when you have food sources that are really widely dispersed. So say they're patchy on the landscape, the coyote has to cover large distances um, to basically maintain a territory that meets its energetic needs, then you're gonna have those larger territory sizes. Uh, If you have food resources that are abundant and uh, more tightly packed on the landscape, then they don't have to travel as far to meet those energetic needs. And so they can survive just fine in those smaller territories. and, And that's often, when you see um, kind of the higher coyote densities that it can occur. And, and sometimes that's even artificially inflated in those residential areas because sometimes food resources are just, they are super in. abundant. Yeah. And they really don't have to travel very far to get what they need if they've learned to use some of those human associated foods. So sometimes even in, in those residential areas, you have coyotes that occupy a smaller space than that. But uh, but it's, it's quite dependent on food and, and it'll vary from year to year a little bit too because food, you know, as you know, I mean, it's seasonal. So, and, and some years you have booms in small mammal populations, you have abundant soft mass in other years, you don't, you know, when you have a drought and that soft mass goes down, there are impacts kind of through those various um, prey species and things like that. So, so those territory sizes will fluctuate as well, you know, for those coyotes to meet those energetic needs. Um, and then in terms of the question regarding the breeding season, uh, so, so coyotes do follow a pretty strict breeding season. Now, if, if that, um, 
if say the the mated pair the male is killed and it's still during the mated season then sure there's no reason that that coyote couldn't mate with another male and um you know i'm not I'm not 100% sure for coyotes, but for things like domestic dogs, um, even for bears, there's the, the possibility of multiple parentage with litters. So you do get that. Um, you you might might have that occur if, if the mated pair were to, you know, the male were to die. Um, but you're not likely to have coyotes reproducing, say, in the summer months. So huh. that reproduction generally occurs um, within or, or pretty close to within that typical breeding season window. Um, and that's one of those things that kind of comes up with the discussion related to koi dogs. You know, you'll hear about um, coyotes that might mate with dogs or, or, you know, dogs then males that mate with female coyotes. And, and it can happen. They're, they're biologically viable offspring. Um, but those offspring, the breeding for them is so different than for wild coyotes. They don't then reproduce in the wild. So mm-hmm. it doesn't happen frequently. And there's certainly no shortage of coyotes on the landscape for them to find mates. Um, but it can happen, you know, and, and it's been documented elsewhere. Again, not a common thing. Um, but but those then Koi dogs, or what you would say, the litter that results from that mated pair, that, that mating occurrence, they're not going to be reproducing then on the landscape because their their breeding cycle is just so different than wild coyotes. Gotcha. Yeah, that that's definitely a fallacy that I'd always heard. Is you go kill ten coyotes in June, um, she's going to go right back into heat and put. 15 more out there or whatever and so it it's good to know that's not actually most likely true it, it sounds like what people are likely saying is what she was talking about those transient coyotes are moving, are moving into in. the territory yeah. not them having more coyotes you know more right. pups one one other right. question and, and they can fill in pretty quick you know you, you remove a couple and it, it really just depends on who's out there on the landscape kind of waiting for the territory to open up hmm. yep yeah. okay. one other question i had for you was uh and i'm sure the hunters would be mad if we didn't ask this question. Of course. But uh, do you all have any idea? I mean, obviously, we're Missouri. We're big deer hunters. Do you have any – what percentage uh, of coyotes kill fawns or how many they kill a year or any numbers like that? And this came up between the three of us mostly because we all run trail cameras throughout the year. And this year, more than really many years for me, I'll have a photo of some deers – some deers <laughs> – some deer running – past a a trail cam and two minutes later two coyotes and you know it seems Mm -hmm. like they're harassing them a lot more and so that was one question we thought of when we decided to do this show with you is do you yeah like micah said do you all have an idea of how you know the percentage of fawns that are killed every year by coyotes you know i i don't know that percentage off the top of my head and we have done a couple of studies that looked at um you know, the deer population and things like that. Across the board, though, you know, coyotes are not the primary source of mortality for deer. Um, And just with the reproductive capacity for deer, uh, you know, they are adapted to withstand predation. You know, deer evolved with wolves and mountain lions and coyotes. And and so, so they are, they are, you know, evolutionary capable, evolutionarily capable to withstand that predation. And, And while you might see, um, you know, some removed at the local level. It's not something that's impacting the deer population as a whole. Um, you know, and, and one way to look at it is 
you know, over the last, say, 50 years, the coyote population um, has steadily increased across the state. I mean, at, at this point, it's a relatively slow increase. They've kind of saturated most of the state. They occur throughout the state. Um, but you're also talking our deer population has grown during that same time period. So right. it's, it's not something where there's this um, necessarily kind of one-to-one relationship. Uh, they're certainly capable of preying on fawns. They are capable of um, injuring or, you know, taking advantage of adult deer that might be injured or weakened for whatever reason kind of thing. Um, but it's it, it definitely not their primary food source. And while you might have some coyotes that kind of develop that search image and seek that out, it's, it's not necessarily the population as a whole either during that time of year um, when fawns are born. It's typically a pretty abundant time for, for other species in terms of coyote food as well. Um, with rabbit young and small mammals and, and things like that also occurring. Yeah, it's a, kind of the same answer you had for us on bears. Um, you know, they're not necessarily preying on deer. Um, it's it's going to happen, but it, it's not Right, that if big it walks by yeah. a fallen land right. there, I'm sure it's going to take advantage of it. Right. But, yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. Exactly. And you might have the few that develop that, you know, they, they, they develop that behavior, but it's not something where that, that they, they're not – focused on that one particular food source during that time of year kind of thing. Um, and, and when you look at scat studies for coyotes, um, you know, deer, deer generally don't make up a large proportion of their diet. It's, it's really the small mammal species that are the bulk of their diet. Right. Makes sense. Um, you guys want to talk about some, some hunting? Yeah, let's, let's get into that. <laughs> well, before we get into with Trav, anything else that you you think we missed that you want to add, Laura, on the the science behind the coyote in our our country? Um, yeah, you know, I think the one thing for Missouri here. I mean, since this is a, an outdoors, you know, group that's listening to this, um, we do track coyote sightings during the bow season, and so we have a survey that goes out every year. Um, that's our bow hunter observation survey, and that survey is a really awesome tool for us. So um, basically, you get a log sheet, you log whatever wildlife sightings you have while you're out deer hunting, and we use that information um, as an index for a variety of different fur bear populations, and, and coyotes are one of them that we use that survey for. Um, we also conduct sign station surveys, so they're basically track surveys every year, um, mm-hmm. and we have MDC staff and volunteers that go out and, and set up these track surveys in the fall. And again, those they're an index to the coyote population. So right now we don't have a good way of estimating exactly how many coyotes are out there on the landscape, but, but really... Um, we look at it kind of as that index of the population. What's the general trend that we're seeing over the last five years, over the last 10? And, and some of these surveys we've been doing for a really long time. The bow hunter surveys started in the 80s. The sign station surveys were in the 70s. So there are these really incredible long-term data sets. So if anybody's a bow hunter and they don't participate in the bow observation <laughs> survey and they're interested – they can just email us. They can contact me. They can sign up via our website um, to get that mailing during the bow season. And, and it's just a really great way for us to track those fur bear populations that's independent of yeah. any harvest on those. So, you know, harvest numbers don't tell us the trends in the population. They tell us the trends in harvest. And that's influenced by a ton of different factors, effort and all of those things. 
but these indices, they're independent of that. So they're a really great tool. And, uh, and that's definitely a way that, you know, archery deer hunters can contribute to um, kind of looking at these as a whole. And we log turkey sightings, we log um, bear sightings, we log coyote sightings, we log um, different categories of deer sightings, whether it's a doe or a buck and, and things like that. So we track all of those things. And all of that information is used in a couple different ways to inform management decisions. So if anybody's interested, uh, it's a really cool survey to participate in. Sign all three of us up. I'd, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I know, Travis, you've heard this saying before probably. Not every coyote hunts a deer hunt, but every deer, deer hunts, hunts a coyote, coyote hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so we definitely, we definitely notice that, yeah. when we see coyotes uh, when we're hunting. Um, in fact, I have my own special coyote arrow, assuming it's – legal to take one <laughs> during the, the deer season yeah. um so uh yeah let's get into the new changes with um with coyote hunting obviously nothing's really changing with the way you can hunt a coyote just like you've always been able to hunt them but as of february 1st there's going to be some it's new opportunity new really. opportunities i guess to harvest them so um travis yeah. uh why don't you just kind of break it down basically at first and then we'll We'll kind of go from there on the new the new yeah, regulations. That sounds good. I, you know, I'm glad you kind of recognize it as an opportunity. One of the things we had been hearing from a lot of folks was it's a new artificial light or night vision thermal imagery season, and it's not a it's not a new season. The the coyote hunting season dates have not not changed. Um, we've just expanded. Uh, a little bit of expansion on the type of methods that can be used to hunt coyotes during, um, as you mentioned, from February 1st through March 31st. And, um, you know, essentially it, it's a change to um, a change to our, our regulations. And I, like I said, I've been an agent for, you know, over 20 years. And um, I don't know that when I started, I thought we would go this route, to be honest, um, being the conservation agent that I am um, deep down as far as because artificial light methods you know when you start talking about other species artificial light night vision thermal imagery can be extremely devastating methods to, to yeah we to don't want to see this animals we don't want to see spotlighting become legal on deer no. <laughs> you know, exactly exactly and and you know and and that's one of the arguments that people make it's like well just make it illegal to spotlight deer and why can't i you know shine coyotes throughout the year or whatever, catch the bad guy, don't penalize the good guy. And, and there is some truth to that. I mean, there's no no doubt about that. And that's why you're seeing this regulation written the way it was. But but also in turn, uh, there's so few conservation agents and there is a lot of people out there who, who do spotlight. We catch hundreds of people every year doing that. And, um, you know, so, so we do also need to have the tools in place to, to be able to address those people that might be up to no good as well. So, so it is definitely a balance, you know, trying to, to balance that opportunity also with protecting those, those other species as well. And also the, the public safety side of it too. I mean, we are going to authorize folks to, to be out there at night with thermal imagery, night vision, and, you know, artificial lights and, um, you know, shooting at, shooting at night, which, which you can do that now anyway. I mean, you just have to use ambient light. You can't, Mm -hmm. uh, use a artificial light. So it, you know, you, you've got those elements there, but but as far as the main changes, um, there, there's basically two regulations that were updated, and the first was our artificial light rule, which, as you think about our artificial light rule, it's it's important to remember it's a use rule, so you cannot 
take, attempt to take, or use an artificial light um, to take wildlife with some exceptions. So, so we've got, that's kind of the general rule. And the night vision, infrared, and thermal imagery rule is actually a possessory rule where you cannot possess that kind of equipment while in possession of a firearm, bow, or other implement whereby game could be killed or taken. So those are kind of the default rules that you, you know, night vision, uh, the artificial light rule, it's not against the law to have a flashlight and a gun at the same time right, right. while you're out in the woods. But right. the night vision thermal imagery rule, it's against the law to have a have a gun while you have that piece of equipment in possession. So essentially what the regulations have done is from February 1st through March 31st on the artificial light side is that you're allowed to use a spotlight, headlight, other artificial light um, while you're out there coyote hunting um, using legal hunting methods from February 1st through March 31st. Um, you can use that light to shine that on a coyote and, and harvest it. The key thing is that it has to be in conjunction with other legal hunting methods, mm -hmm. and it cannot be with the aid of a, of a motor vehicle or from or across a public roadway. So it isn't, we have not you know, opened up anything where somebody could drive up and down the road in spotlight still and then use the excuse that, hey, I'm out, I'm out looking for coyotes. Right. That's still, even from February 1st through March 31st, that's still going to be, that's still very clearly against the regulation. So it, it basically allows the use of light. And I'm assuming if you guys are out calling coyotes right now, mm -hmm. um, you know, if it happened to be February 1st, whenever you bring that coyote in, you could use a red light or some kind of a spotlight um, whenever you brought it in, and then you could make sure it was a coyote and shoot it. That's right. essentially what the artificial light rule allows. Yeah, it, um, it doesn't really the change night, the way ahead. you're hunting it. It it just no, changes, it the, changes the what time. you can do. Yeah, the yeah. time yeah. really. You know, if you want to do yeah, it at midnight, from that, <laughs> do it at midnight. Now the night vision, infrared, and thermal imagery equipment. Like I said, it was a possess. It's a possessory rule, so we are allowing the possession of those while in possession of a, a firearm, bow, or other implement where a game could be killed or taken for coyote hunting um, during from. February 1st through the end of March, that March 31st, and so you can possess and control it. So, so you could theoretically have a you know thermal imagery scope mounted on your rifle, um, and use that to take coyotes um, during uh, this 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 time of year, January or February 1st through March 31st. And um, you know, with with that being said, it also um, does not allow you to do that from from or with the aid of a motor vehicle or from or across the public roadway. So, so don't have. So we added some yeah. of those. Don't add ahead. a spotlight on your truck. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, I mean it's yeah. If, if you're like saying you know sitting in your truck and you know scoping a field with your thermal imagery scope, that's no different. That will be no different on January you know February first through March thirty first than it is right now. That'll right. be against the rules. Yeah. Right. So it. We've tried to take away those, um, you know, put some safeguards in. And I shouldn't say take away, but put some safeguards mm -hmm. in to allow the the sportsmen who are going to take advantage of it and do it the right way, but also allow us conservation agents the tools we need to address the people who are trying to do it wrong yeah. Yeah. without overreaching. So it's kind of a balancing act is what it amounts to. And, you know, and then Laura can jump in, but as we talked about this, it wasn't, 
um, necessarily a population control, you know, a broad scale prop- population control um, move. It was really, you know, public public asking for this opportunity, you know, to be able to do this. So we were we're responding to that within you know, the framework that we feel like uh, we're able to do that without causing other other problems. Um, we recently changed the regulations to allow. Um, the the regulations committee would get requests about it for you know depredation on coyotes and we recently changed the regulations ahead of this one it's been about a year ahead of this to allow conservation agents to authorize night vision or thermal imagery or artificial light for taking coyotes for landowners or their representative if they're having you know legitimate damage from coyotes so mm-hmm. we have that mechanism in place outside of this this time period so um, people can can address those problems if they contact their agent and and get an authorization to do that. So so we've made some big expansions um, with these regulation changes. When yeah. they do yeah. that to and, get and those, is, go ahead, Laura. Uh, I was going to say Travis is exactly right. You know, in the discussions related to this, it's, it's not a it's not a population level thing that we're talking about here. It's really providing additional opportunity. There's, there's, you know, all sorts of new things that come up over time and um, predator hunting popularity has certainly increased over the last decade. And, and this is one of those common requests that, that folks have. And so it really is providing those new methods during a time of year when, when it's, you know, it's acceptable to do that um, and just allowing that additional opportunity there rather than, you know, this is, I mean, there are some folks that thought this was a population control kind of thing, and, and, and that's not what it is. It's really the opportunity aspect. Yeah, and, and that's one thing we were going to ask is, and you already answered the question, Travis, without us asking it, is, you know, what was the the thinking behind allowing these these usage of these um, pieces of equipment from February 1st to March 31st? And you, you pretty much already explained it. Um, is there is there any... I know there is. What is the reasoning behind the date you chose, which before we talked, you pretty much answered that for us, Travis. But, you know, why February 1st to March 31st? Was there thoughts on other other times? And, you know, what was the, the thinking in, in to the kind of the two month window that we've we've got to use these items? Well, I mean, there's there's a couple of reasons. One, we've you know, we were getting the public request for it. And so we were tasked with looking at a time frame um, where we thought we could work it in where it would be acceptable. And and even with this, I mean, when we had our public comments, you know, I think, you know, this is a pretty pro, um, you know, somebody who's kind of into allowing this method. But but we actually did get public comments from people that are like, no way, we shouldn't be doing this. So it's, right. you know, it is about balancing a lot of different different desires but one of the reasons was our archery seasons ends by uh on january 15th and most of our large deer have uh you know the incentive for somebody to go out and use these methods to cheat is dramatically decreased um come february 1 because a lot of the larger deer have have dropped their antlers by then sure um and and that's what we're finding as conservation agents we see people out trying to kill big deer um, with artificial light, night vision, and thermal imagery. So, so as you guys said, you don't want to open up a deer spotlighting season, nope. you know, and, and we don't want to use this as a gateway to that. And we've already kind of discussed the pros and cons and the, you know, the, you know, the, the folks that would say, we'll catch the bad guy. And yes, we would, we would love to catch the bad guy. We just got to have the right tools to be able to do that. 
um, from uh, our uh, our perspective as as conservation agents and to protect that resource and um, for everybody to enjoy, you know, and and so that's the that's kind of the reason we picked that time frame. It's also a time of year when, um, you know, I think that's a time of year when you want to be out there hunting coyotes, right? It's it's cool. Yep. It's you know, I mean, that's that's probably one of your most um, enjoyable times of year for hunting coyotes. You know that you know February through the end of March. So vocal, it's also pre yep. pre turkey season. Yep. You know, the turkey season hasn't quite round. You know. Uh, started up yet so it's it's just a good time of year i think to um you know low risk for other wildlife species and also a time of year when most sportsmen would like to be out there doing it so i think it's a i think that we've came up with a pretty fair you know start into doing this within missouri you know with that 60-day window yeah and it and it doesn't overlap with the other fur bear hunting season so they'll yeah. close on January 31st so there's there's no overlap there it's kind of that that window where if you're going to be out there hunting you know coyotes coyotes is the big thing that you're talking about so mm-hmm. um so I think yeah all all of those different factors really played into the discussions around okay what's going to be the most appropriate time to to think about doing this yeah and and correct me if I'm wrong Travis but it's also Another thing I liked about it is there's not going to be any confusion as far as bobcats because bobcat season is over by February 1st. Um, I'm almost yeah, positive. And, you know, I, yeah, I know there shouldn't be confusion, but, you know, there's always those people that, well, oh, I thought you could hunt any predator with this, and not just coyotes. And, well, if you look at the regulations, bobcats have a specific season that is not the same as a coyote, and it's over by February 1st. So... Um, I kind of liked that as well. Yeah, and that was that was a big conversation with Laura as far as the fur, other fur bearer populations, and um, you know, as she mentioned, and you know, it's bobcats, it's foxes as well. I mean, so so we're 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 doing this at a time when when no other fur bearers are open um, that are well, I should say for hunt, hunting fur bearers. Obviously, you can still trap beavers and different things like that, but but generally speaking, that that was part of the timing is timing with it. And, um, that went into our factored into our decisions. Nice. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, we're excited to, I, I mean, I, I'd love to go drop a lot of money on some cool stuff, but, uh, right. <laughs> at least maybe, you know, check it out and see it. I mean, I've, um, yeah, it, it, it'd be cool. And it, it, it does, there is a little bit of fair chase still to it. That's, that's why you, you kept the, the regulations the way you did with not hunting out of a vehicle and things like that that don't really make it fair chase anymore. You still got to go make a stand out there. You still got to go make a stand. You still got to call them in. You still got to do certain things. Yeah, you got to play your wind. You got to do it. Right. Yeah, you know, you're not driving around looking out the back roads. Just like, oh, there's one, shoot it. You yeah. know, that's 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 not even fun. So why would you want to do that right. anyway? But So it still adds that element. Yep. Right. So yeah, and- that's, that's a really good point, too, because, you know, it's not – coyote hunting is not – just as simple as setting up and there's a coyote kind of thing there's there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot of unsuccessful nights that folks have and so we're you're all right. raising our and hands right is, now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> been there this is you know it's one of those things that that it's a it's an increased opportunity it's a new method that you can try and it doesn't mean that every coyote hunter is going to be out there doing it either there are certainly going to be folks that um that they're this is not for them and it's not something they're going to be doing and for others yeah they might jump in and, and this is a great opportunity so um yeah I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. It, it just gives gives you that little bit of uh, 
you know, something different to be able to do some different opportunities that you might have. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not driving down the road looking for coyotes. This is, this is something different. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a YouTube video, you know. <laughs> no, so no. no. Do you know, are there several other states around us? I think I read on a forum that Kansas is kind of has the same. Are we, are we leading in this? Are we kind of, out, or are we joining more states around us? Or do you even know? Or do you, I don't even know. Yeah, I, you know, I Kansas, I think, is following suit with us, kind of. Okay. I don't think their regulation looks exactly like ours, but it's it's fairly close. Um, when we looked at this, we were we were one of the states either were allowing some kind of depredation through a permit, or okay. they were just flat out allowing it already in some capacity. So, Got so it. we definitely aren't the trailblazers on this. Uh, I would say, and Laura can jump in. We're not really the trailblazers, but we're not, we're also not um, egregiously behind either. Um, if that makes, makes sense, sense. Yep. I, I would say we're, we're kind of, um, we're easing in a little more than some States did. Some States just kind of anything goes with coyotes and predators. Okay. Um, and we're, we're just not that route um, for very good reason on yeah. a lot of reasons, yeah. but but anyway. Yeah, I'd say that's a the, a good way to describe it. We're kind of middle of the road with that. So, some have been doing it already, allowing certain things that we didn't. Others, you know, not so much. So, um, I think I think Travis described that exactly right. Perfect. And you, Travis, you talked about outside of this this season or not not season, but this time frame, you can use these that uh, for depredation. You're able to get permits per se kind of describe that real quick so a farmer obviously having issues he got somebody that's going to coyote hunt off there for him do they need to get a physical permit or how does that work it's a good good call andy you know what's that process i guess for somebody that might be having problems yeah yeah very good question generally speaking we have a rule in the wildlife code that says an owner can protect their property by um you know you know if you've got a, a bobcat getting in your or a coyote getting into your chicken coop you're allowed to shoot that or mm-hmm. to trap that, and then you just have to notify an agent within 24 hours right. on what to do with that animal. We've got some other special restrictions for deer and turkey and bears and endangered species, but I won't I won't get into those. But but generally speaking, coyotes, um, if you don't want to use this night vision or thermal imagery, um, generally speaking, you could trap it or or shoot it if it's causing damage and then contact the agent afterwards. Right. But if, if you're having depredation issues and you want to use this method, this night vision thermal imagery or an artificial light to, uh, to take a coyote that's causing damage or, or, you know, a, um, you know, a pack of coyotes that are getting into your cattle or your, your livestock, whatever mm-hmm. that may be, you're having those issues. All it takes is a simple phone call to the conservation agent and the landowner or their representative um, can be authorized to um, utilize these methods to to, to take some some coyotes out. And it, it's it's a permit. The agent would write up a permit. Okay. Um, we also have probably more effective, to be honest, would be um, if you're having economic damage and the ability to use snares to take coyotes. Um, there's, you know, gotcha. snares are indiscriminate. I mean, they'll they'll kill the neighbor's dog too. Right. So they have to, you have to be very careful with those and get authorization to utilize those. But, but long and short of it is, if a landowner is having legitimate damage, we have mechanisms in place that 
they can either take care of their own problem or if they want to use some of these more, um, you know, something other than just shooting or trapping, mm-hmm. then they can get special authorization to do that. So we're, we're usually sense. pretty easy to work with on it. Nice. Good. Good. Okay. Uh, question I, and just to clear the water so we can, during this time frame, is this, are we going to be able to do this on public ground as well as private ground as long as the method, you know, whether it be a bow or yeah. rifle or whatnot, as far as that goes, yeah. is it open game for that or how's that work? Yeah. Very good question. I actually thought about saying that and I'd forgotten about it. I'm so thanks you, for Micah. reminding good me, job, buddy. Yeah, it's on, it's on, uh, <clears throat> these are statewide hunting methods. So, so on all conservation land and also, you know, pup private land, these methods are allowed, um, you know, and generally speaking, you know, the Corps of Engineers and the U.S. Forest Service, they allow hunting under the same regulations that are in the wildlife code. So so barring some kind of a special restriction um, on some other entities, you know, public land that they might enact or what have you, and I'm not aware of any of those at this point, it, it, it's open on both public and um, private private land. The only thing I will say on conservation land and even other public lands is there's there typically are you got to be careful sometimes that there's not a, some other method restriction that you may need to abide right. by. Yeah, like um, I, I mean, yeah, some areas might be archery only or yeah. no single projectile firearms or whatever. That hasn't changed and that's that applies to all hunting not just not just you know the you know coyote hunting with night vision or thermal imagery. So yeah, so those rules are still in place. But generally speaking, it's allowed. Gotcha. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I mean that's some great information. Um, we, we, I mean, heck, Laura, I've been emailing you for a few months about this kind of like I, I I'd like to talk about this, but maybe we should wait. And we've been excited to kind of <laughs> yeah. discuss this for a few for a few months once or whenever the the uh, the when, when announcement came out yeah. that it was going to happen. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we appreciate y'all coming on, Travis. I do. I'm going to put you on the spot. I didn't make you. Oh no! <laughs> I, I didn't make you answer the "What's your favorite thing about Missouri?" question that I ask all of our our new guests, which Laura had to answer back when she was on the first time. So I do have a different question for you. Have you ever had? Okay. My my sons love watching YouTube videos of coyotes in the city. I don't know why. Okay. They, 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 it's you know the coyote takes somebody's dog. What is what is the craziest? Maybe you don't have one, but you've been a conservation agent for a couple of decades. You said, "What is the craziest incident you had with a coyote in your career that you can remember?" Anything that comes to oh, mind? Oh my goodness! <laughs> I don't know that I have one with a coyote that just comes to mind. To well, be then honest, I'll broaden it. Um, What's your craziest incident you've ever had that you can talk about? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I've had all kinds of crazy incidents. I, I tell you what, conservation agents are, um, you know, it it's one of the best law enforcement jobs like you could ever have. Most of the people you work around are really good people, but um, but you still get into all the same kind of crazy stuff that you would think a traditional police officer would get into. I've been legitimately scared when I've been out there. I've also had lots of extremely um, funny situations that you, you deal with just because people are, people are people, um, you know, <laughs> when they're out there and you get into all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, you know, I've, you know, one of the things that I, I remember is we got a report, um, we were working, people were spotlighting within a quer- rock quarry 
and uh, we, you know, it was about a 2,000 acre piece of property. Hmm. And I remember making a spotlighting case. The only way we couldn't sit up in our truck. So, so we, uh, me and another officer, we hiked in there and set up and we were hiding behind the trees where these people were actually driving around spotlighting. And at the time, it seemed like a pretty good idea. <laughs> um, and then we called other people, other people in, uh, you know, to, to stop the vehicles and everything worked out okay. But after it was over, we were kind of like, you know, you know, we got glowing eyes too, you know, <laughs> thing. so, 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 you know, it turned out that they were spotlighting a lot of deer in there and they felt like they were safe, you know, from the conservation agent. And I, I would say over my career, you know, I've had people run from me and, you know, been in chases and, um, you know, I've, you know, contacted a lot of people for a variety of things, you know, illegal take of paddlefish eggs and illegal sales and, um, you know, just, just everything under the sun you could think of. Nice. And, but, but I, but I will say that, um, you know, you're, you're always, um, out there with the mind trying to keep yourself safe and trying to keep the public safe and, and protect the resources. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, some of the best things are, you know, I've got pictures of, um, you know, the memories I have are, you know, with my kids, I've got my, I've got teenage daughters now. So it's a little different lifestyle at my house, but how many kids get to grow up where dad brings home an injured barn owl, you know, and <laughs> yeah. the kids get to see the barn owl and, you know, see that. And I remember doing wildlife surveys with my oldest daughter where I would, you know, get paid to drive around and count the pheasants and the quail. And, um, you know, my oldest daughter, she would, well, I would, wouldn't drive my state vehicle, but I would take her with me in my personal truck and we would end up with McDonald's breakfast after we had counted the birds as she would say and you know all those memories are that lifestyle of being a conservation agent and that's what it really is you know we're subject to call at most hours of the day and night and you kind of live that lifestyle and i can't think of a better way that i would have liked to raise my family or yeah. live that lifestyle well and I'll, i don't I'll, know that's probably more than you asked for, no no that's cool no, that's, that's what i'm really that's great i'll echo what you said to to our listeners i'm someone who personally doesn't have this problem but you know, maybe someone that's listening does. I have no problem calling my conservation agent and asking him a question. Nope. Um, it's really easy to find who your conservation agent is. You just go to MDC's website. Um, I don't remember exactly what to do, but it's contact. You find your local contact. You find your you find your county, and it's got their name and number listed right there. And I remember I had yeah, a or the deer pamphlet. I yeah, mean, that they got every number listed in the deer pamphlet. Yeah. So it's real easy. I yeah. just talked to my agent a few weeks ago when I decided I want to try to hunt a bobcat that I've been seeing on camera. And I, you know, I, I, I like to confuse myself sometimes when I'm reading. And I'm like, well, is that, can I really go after that bobcat since I don't have an open antler tag? And how does this work? And so all I did was pick up a phone and called. And they're, they, I, they almost always answer the phone when I call. If not, they call right back. And they'll tell you exactly, you know, what you should and shouldn't be doing. And, you know, if you ever have a question on what you should and shouldn't do, find out who your agent is and make a phone call and you can get clarity on what you should do. That's one thing we're kind of unique on. I mean, that number, that number that you see in the deer pamphlet or online is that agent's um, state issued cell phone. So I, like said, they, they do have time off, so they're not going to answer the phone every single time someone calls but generally speaking um that's one of the things that's unique with us you you don't have to call a police dispatch you call you call the number you get the agent 
Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's, that's something we take a lot of pride in. And it also, if you think about it, there's also about, there's only about 200 of us statewide. Um, and there's, you know, several, you know, 1500 state troopers or 1200 and, you know, big cities have a lot of officers. So, so we, we really do rely on you guys, um, cooperating with you all to, to do our job effectively, you know, either, you know, when you turn in a, a guy who's, you know, shooting off the road or, or whatever. So that link to you all and being you know, people, your people, you know, that that's really important to us. And it, it's what enables us to be effective to protect the resources. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it's better to make a phone call first to, to clarify a question than it is to try to cover something up you did wrong later. Um, you know, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it never works. It never, that never works nope, well. Trust no, me. That one, that one just never works well. It's exactly, it's, it's better to, to ask up front. And if you don't understand, ask the question because, because we're going to answer it for you and, uh, we're not going to hold it against you by answering a question, asking a question. Yeah. And MDC tries to do their best of being clear on, on what you can and can't do, but there's always those times where you just, you're not sure. So make that phone call you can get clarification pretty easily on, Oh, can I do this? Can I not do this? Is this, um, is this legal? Is it not legal? All those things. So, um, we really appreciate Travis and, uh, Laura coming on, um, and your time tonight for talking about this. Um, we think it's a, a perfect time to talk about coyotes and the new regulations that are going to come out and starting February 1st. And, um, or the new, I guess, time period you can do new things. New opportunity. Right. Doesn't change any <laughs> anything else. Seems right. uh, the same. Yeah, everything else is the same. You can hunt Tools that are available just, are different. Yeah. So um, we, we appreciate Laura clarifying some of the science behind um, coyotes and Travis kind of clarifying the new um, regulations that are going to be out. And um, do you does, do we, either one of you have something you'd like to add before we hop off? I think we covered everything from my perspective. Yeah, no, just thanks for having us. It's a great opportunity to visit to, with your listeners. Awesome. We yep, we absolutely. really appreciate you all appreciate coming it. on um, and, and spending your evening with us. And um, we will uh, we'll hop off and, and hope you guys have a good evening. I'm good. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Right, thank thanks. you guys very much. Bye. All right. Thank you, MDC, for coming on. So who's got the hookup on the Amazon brightest spotlight you can find <laughs> how many lumens is that yeah i want to i want to bring the, state the sun of, hold on, hold on. i want to bring the sun out there is the state of missouri from february 1st to march 31st just going to be glowing at night <laughs> i mean <laughs> all them lights i know it's going to be it's really cool i mean i'm excited about a because i mean i work till five o'clock so it's dark by the time i get off pretty much so this opens up opportunity where if I want to go out after in the evenings, I get the opportunity to do it for a little while. Yeah. Well, so opens the opportunity if I hear them from my house and then I can't yeah. sleep. Yeah, something you know I can actually legally shoot this do sign something. light at. Yeah, them. right. Yeah, so we we really appreciate them coming on, giving some information about that, kind of clarifying the new regulations and talking about some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, obviously, like we talked about in the show, if you do have more questions, we would suggest. Call your local conservation agent. Yeah, they're super easy to talk to. We've all, I mean, I know Nathan explained, or did you tell your story about Yeah, I, t- yeah. I told the story. Yeah, and I mean, I've had. It was two minutes ago, dude. You don't remember that? <sighs> I don't remember if we recorded that or if that was just <laughs> us BSing. 
I think it was just us BSing. I don't think we recorded that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crap. Uh, maybe we did. But, he, but he mentioned it, but then he explained later. Yeah, yeah. Nathan, he's talked to his conservation agent. I've done the same where I've had questions, and, you know, I, and I text him. I literally I text him, and he was like, oh, yeah, and he got back with me super quick. And right. Super easy, super friendly. So if you have a question, don't be afraid to ask him. And like and, we said in the show, um, just get on NBC's website. Go to find your local contact, and you can find that information for yep. that agent pretty easily. And it's more than just that. Like I've called called the agent, to, you know, go shed hunt and you find a deadhead. A lot of people I don't realize it, but you're supposed to have a, a salvage tag. Yep, there's I just mean, to kind of protect yourself that you didn't poach right, that. Right. You know? I mean, if you if you've been driving around anywhere in Missouri, I mean, we just drove me and Nate, or yeah, we just drove from St. Louis over the weekend, and I probably saw. At least ten deer, and none of, and a lot of them didn't have heads. So that means they were a buck, more right. likely. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anybody taking slick heads, but hopefully they did the right thing and got that salvage title. And it was as easy so. as a phone call. Then I had to text him my information, and then they and just all of a sudden, about a, a week a week later, I get this salvage tag in the mail. So yep. I mean, yeah, so make sure you're doing that. You know, it's you know you don't want to get in trouble for something that's super easy to acquire. Yep. So definitely. All right. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, make sure you guys go subscribe to our um, podcast and give us leave us a review if you wouldn't mind. Uh, hit us up on our our Facebook, um, Facebook and our Instagram pages. Um, Tag we, us in your pictures. We love seeing them. Love seeing them. That's probably my favorite thing about getting on Instagram. Interacting uh, with people like us. Yep. So uh, we really appreciate the support, and we will uh, talk to y'all later.